thanks for reaching out to us. We're we're uh, we're excited for for you wanting to do this and to have this opportunity. I, I guess just kind of starting off, ours are perfect as far as, as being able to know when to be on and off. It, it's very much like you said, a switch to where. And, and again, it all goes back to exercise, though, and making sure that, that we're giving them the time they need to where they can wear themselves out. But once once they do that, a, a dogo that is content, I mean, you, you can have a nice, quiet, peaceful yard. You can turn a dog loose and, and let them run around and, and be with you. And the other dogs are not going to go crazy because, you know, they know that they'll get their time, too. It's it's very content. They, they very much have an off switch. You know, we keep our dogs outside. Uh, but I could very easily bring any one of them inside, and within a couple of days, they're they're pretty much acclimated to it and, and comfortable. You know, they, they they have a very big understanding of when they need to be on and when they're looking for something. And, and by keeping them as yeah, their their intelligence is. And that was another reason too why why we kind of stuck with the dogo and, and made multiple crosses after after our first litter is just seeing how smart they are and just. Uh, their, their computer works so great. They're, they're such a programmable dog, you know. I, I think that people try to debate a lot as far as Dogo's. I, I think the other two dogs that, that are kind of seen as that lead-in type catch dog is, uh, you know, of course, the pit bull and then the American bulldog, too, and, and people try to talk about the pros and cons. And, and I, I think that there are some Dogo's out there that you could say, you know, can compare with them as far as holding style and the ability to, to stop a big hog. I think in some ways the Dogo has some pluses going for them as far as being a little bit leggier than the pit bull. And I think as far as the American bulldog, I've seen pit bulls or Dogos that have a little bit better personality and have a much better off switch. But uh, for us, the thing with the Dogo that, that we kind of like, that, that kind of sets them apart for, for our use is they're, they're just a little bit more programmable. They're a little bit smarter, a little bit more toned down. Um, I mean, a, a pit bull, you really got to get them young and, and just try to, try to get as much into them to kind of break that stubbornness as you can. And some of them, I mean, it's almost impossible to, to kind of get them to think exactly how you need them to, to be able to hunt the way we do. I mean, there's, there's no other dogs that these dogs are relying on. They have to do it themselves. So they have to be able to focus on, on what they're doing and, and look past things like cows and horses, livestock, um, anything that might be a distraction. And, and with a lot of these bulldog breeds, it's really difficult to do. But, but one thing that kind of draws it to the Dogo is that, you can kind of program them to, to think a certain way, and once they once they get that in their mind, I mean, they really do have a nice IQ for for going out and trying to find hogs and and doing what you need them to do. They they they're really good problem solvers. Um, our first litter, which was a Banshee of Flying G, we brought her back to a, a, another Lakota male that that kind of came from Ricky Shawnafelt's uh, yard. Who he's in he's in Central Texas, and uh, he's a really nice hard male. Um, he was just about to turn two years old. Banshee was, was almost, it was, I think, a little over two years old, maybe almost three. And um, we started that litter at about eight months old. And that was right when we had our last cur dog and then uh, another kind of rescue that we had. And um, once they got going, we kind of started hunting those dogs by themselves. The, the, we kept three brothers out of that litter. And when they were about 10 months old, going on a year, we started hunting them by themselves. It was kind of like our first dip into an all-dogo pack. And, I mean, it was just I've, – I've hunted – I've kept dogs from other litters and, and started them together. Um, curve, hound, cross, whatever. I mean, all different kinds, all different styles. 
I had never had dogs that were so kind of easy to turn on, which I was worried about. I, I thought that was going to be our biggest hurdle was to have dogs that took to this naturally because nobody's really been breeding dogos to do this. Like I said, for the most part, they've been using a catch dog role. So there was nobody out there that was specifically seeing if a dogo could be an all-around hunting, you know, find its own hog, hold it, and, and not have to rely on others. And, I mean, these boys, you know, from a year on to about 18 months, I mean, the, the amount of growth they showed in that time frame was comparable, if, if not better, than, than any other young dogs I've hunted with. And to have to do that by themselves. They really didn't have any kind of puppy trainer that was that was showing them the ropes. You know, most young dogs I started, you needed a couple of veterans and you needed some good standout hunts, some repetitive, you know, one pig after another, older dogs showing them things that they wouldn't normally be able to do on their own without seeing another dog do it. But with these dogos, with with Buzzsaw and Bronco and Bull, our, our first our first litter, those three boys. I mean, they really showed us that, that there is some, some good hunting instinct there. And once you get them started the right way, they can, they can really make themselves useful. Um, I mean, we, we made it a point to us, though. I mean, we tried to go hunting at the most optimum time. We tried to go to places where we knew we could get them on sign. We would, we would work them, you know, several times a week. We, we gave them the opportunity. I mean, we had to put some legwork into it. But in doing so, you know, once we set them up for success, they were able to finish it off themselves and, and do what they needed to, to to produce a hog. Can you talk about the history of the dogo as, as you guys see it? Just giving you a little bit of a background. Um, I was kind of born into into hunting dogs. Um, from the time I guess I was around three, my, my dad would take me coon hunting. He, uh, in the early 90s, had a couple tree and walker coon hounds, so kind of growing up with that and coon hunting i was very much involved in that uh spent a lot of time studying pedigrees and kind of you know following the world of the competition coon hounds and kind of kind of being introduced into that aspect of working dogs and um i guess about the time i was coming into 11 or 12 there was a little bit of a kind of feral hog explosion in, in population in this area and there have been people around here that had hunted hogs for years before this already um one of which was James Land, who he was kind of known at the time as, as pretty much the best out there. And I actually had him as a teacher growing up in school and went with him a couple times when I was about 12. And after that, that kind of ruined anything else for me as far as working dogs. Mm -hmm. Hog dogs was all I wanted to kind of be around and, and what I wanted to do. So uh got with a good group of friends, and, and that's what we focused on for the following years. And by the time we, we graduated high school, uh, around 2007, we had some really nice uh, kind of working hog dogs. Um, they were a little bit of a mixture. Uh, for the most part, they were mostly made up of cur dog with a little bit of running walker in them, uh, kind of what people use to hunt coyotes here, kind of like a foxhound type, and then a, a little bit of bulldog to kind of help with, uh, with the catching mm -hmm. bred into them. Mm -hmm. And we really didn't use any catch dogs. We didn't have any lead-in catch dogs or, or any pit bulls or anything like that. That was that was kind of just what we hunted. They were all that, that makeup of dog. And there was quite a few people here in the area that, that used that type of dog, and, and it was kind of a kind of a proven cross. So that's what we did. And uh, then I went on to college and kind of had to leave that, that pack of dogs behind, and, and uh, I didn't hunt near as much. Uh, my buddies, they, they stuck with it, and they ended up making just some really nice working hog dogs and couple generations of it and uh graduated college four years later 
uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do as far as like a career. I just knew that I wanted to have some hunting dogs. So uh, I started working on, on getting a pack put together using some of the dogs that, that my buddies had kept and, and were hunting. And uh, I also had been hunted a couple times with a gentleman in our area named James Kett. And he had a male stud dogo and bred it to a, a cur dog on his yard. And I bought a pup out of that. It was It was a half dogo. And um, that was going to kind of be the the catch type dog that I had in my pack. I was I was going to use him kind of as a running catch dog. Well, uh, about a year after graduating college, I, I moved into my own place and uh, I moved in with with Ashley. And uh, her kind of little bit of background for her and working dogs is uh, her and her family moved down here uh, when she was in high school and Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio. I don't know if you've heard a whole lot about them, but it's kind of like the premier breeding site for military working dogs. Yeah, yeah. And um, they have a program where they, they foster out dogs for uh, people, you know, that are going to be military-type dogs, and people will raise them, put a handle on them. They have a, it's a very strict set of guidelines that they have to follow. And Ashley and her family were very much involved in that. Her parents still are today. They, uh, they do a lot of volunteer work over at Lackland, kind of helping with the military program. And uh, we... Uh, she, she raised a couple of walls while in high school uh, that went on to do some great things for the military, and then they also adopted a few that, that kind of flunked out of the system. But, uh, I mean, she was very knowledgeable as far as the, the handle of a dog, and uh, kind of that's where I learned a lot of that was, was through Ashley. But anyway, when, when we moved in together, uh, I had to sell off most of my pack um, just because it was, it was our first place together and, and because of the size of the place. And the one dog that I ended up keeping was that half dogo. And for about a year or so, we I, I kind of stayed away. I hunted when I could, which wasn't much, and it was probably the most out of it I had been since since I was 12, you know, for, for the last 10 years that I'd been hunting. And, um, you know, later on when we got engaged and moved out to a bigger place and, and had our first kind of real setup to where we were able to do so, uh, Ashley talked about how she kind of wanted to get into dogs and uh, working dogs specifically, and we kind of talked about what we'd be interested in and our half dogo that we kept, you know, Blitzen was his name. And he was, we were, we were starting to hunt him. He was probably about 18 months old, and, and we were kind of getting the itch to where we'd just kind of take him in the woods with the one or two leftover dogs that, that I had from my pack. And, you know, it really wasn't about a whole lot of success, but it was just kind of fun watching the dogs work and then having something to do. So, you know, when we talked about trying to really get back into it seriously and getting into working dogs, and, and I asked Ashley what, what she thought, you know, as far as what direction we could go. And she had been studying a lot about, you know, purebred dogos and, and the dogos that were out there. And uh, that's kind of what we ended up going with. And I, and I asked her, I said, if we were going to do this, you know, we should probably maybe try to, like, do our research and get a dogo that can do it all. Because, I mean, from what I'd seen from years hunting and, and what I'd heard about people that, that had the right dogos, I mean, there, there were some out there that were capable of finding their own hog, catching it, and holding it. And I thought that'd be kind of a kind of a cool project something something different to work on and in theory it, it made a lot of sense for us and for how we were going to probably end up hunting so in 2014 right in, in december we went and uh visited the stacy's and flying g kennel in uh oklahoma i think blanchard oklahoma and it was their second litter of dogo pups from a male named um walicho of cazador creo which they're a real famous kennel in europe I don't know the exact country, but they're kind of known for having a muscular, athletic-type-looking dogo. And uh, they had bred him to what is a Lakota female from Texano Bravo based out of Texas. 
they were they were real good friends with the owner of that kennel. And uh, Lakocha is another really popular, probably the most popular as far as like working line out there. You can find a lot of dogs that have Lakocha in their background. But uh, so this this pup was basically a half Lakocha, kind of half Casador Creo type pup. Um, she was a female named Banshee, and um, I mean being around working dogs all my life and, and owning all types of pups crossed all different ways and several different breeds. And Ashley too, with her, her background in dogs. I mean, we just both fell in love with this, this pup. She was just everything we kind of want as far as her temperament. And then, I mean, and her appearance, she was just kind of a freak. I mean, just a super long legged athletic type dog. It, it, there wasn't even a whole lot of dogos out there that, that looked like Banshee did at the time, which I mean, that was only five years ago, but even then, I mean, you can find a lot more of her type now than I think you could back then. Um, she was just an excellent build pup, and then we just fell in love with the breed and kind of been rolling with it uh, since that. But that's that's kind of a little bit of background on us and, and how we kind of got where we are now. And talk about your uh, beginning experiences with the uh, Dogo when when you're out on the hog hunts. How how has it uh, been a different experience than the other dogs that you've uh, been around? Well, I've. I've hunted with Dogos a few different times, you know, while we were still doing the cur dog thing and, mm-hmm. and when I was younger. And, um, I mean, there's there's a lot of hog hunters in this part of the world. I mean, South Texas, it, it's not uncommon to drive down the road and see a dog box and it's, it's somebody that has hog dogs. And, and everybody's got every kind of different style you can think of. Uh, I would say the vast majority have a kind of crossed up dogs like I was referring to earlier, and they may have like a lead in pit bull or something. And there's a few people out there that that have a, a, a lead in dogo that they use. And there's some people even even more hard to find, but there are people out there that will run a dogo on the ground as kind of like a running catch dog type thing. So I mean, I, I knew the dogo as a hunting breed before. I, I've been a little bit experienced with them, but. Um, I think what we were trying to do, though, when, when we sought out with this, was we wanted to kind of have a little bit of a, a specific reason why we were going to use an all-dogo pack. And uh, by hunting with these other styles of dogs and, and seeing them and, and working with them, uh, I mean, you, you learn a lot. And, and one thing that I learned is I, I, I don't want to chase hogs, um, especially nowadays, you know, from even the 10 years, 15 years ago from when I started, uh, there was a lot more pasture uh, a lot bigger acres that you had to run and uh you know if there was a race it wasn't that big of an issue but uh the the, the longer i did this and, and the more i saw uh shorter range dogs that that are, are quicker to grab a hog instead of try to chase or bay or, or you know in that aspect I, I i think that this was just a better way to go so we wanted to get dogs that were kind of able to work smaller pastures of land mm-hmm. could work together in a pack everybody be on the same page and i guess that's a lot of it too is it's even so much of being an all dogo pack i mean it's an all purebred pack for one i mean i've seen a lot of people that hunted with all plots or all mountain curs and it just seemed like the more related the dogs were or the more of the same type they were the more uniform the pack was and, and everybody seemed to be more on the same page there there wasn't more of a you know confusion whenever something kicked off everybody seemed to be working a little bit more as a team so, you know, first off, just having them be all the same breed, it kind of seems like everybody's able to kind of understand what's going on most of the time a little bit better than if we kind of had a jumbled up mix of dogs out there. Um, I think, too, that it's important that I, I don't want a dog that's going to pop up a hog and not think of anything other than trying to engage it immediately. 
Now, now with that being said, the way we hunt pretty much 90% of the time is on foot. Um, we, we really don't use ATVs or, or trucks or anything like that. So it's a big part on us to where we have to try to make the most effort to be there as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we want the dog and hog to have contact for as little amount of time as we can. Right. And I mean, several reasons for that. Of course, the dog safety first, and then two, it's the humane thing. And then three, I mean, the, the longer a dog is caught, the, the better chance of you losing that hog. So, I mean, you, you want to try to get there as soon as possible. But uh, it's, it's a shorter range style of hunting than, than what I did kind of back in high school. But uh, I wouldn't say that our success rate has suffered so much from it because when you find a hog, there's, there's that contact made right off the bat. You're, you're not waiting on the hog or allowing the hog to make the next move, which, as I stated earlier, with as many people as we have hunting around here and as long as people have been hunting around here, I mean, these hogs are very educated as far as to what a dog is. And, and the, the chances of a hog standing still for you, whether it be from a bay dog or, or even a dog that's not committed to catching, maybe maybe they're kind of kind of going in and out on that hog or where it'll bite and then kind of let go and back up and bark and then come back and nip at it again. I mean, the, the, the hogs around here, they've, they've seen that way too many times and they're just going to run. And it's funny, you know, you, until you've like hunted long enough and you kind of understand it, I mean, you get to realizing that, that a mature hog, which, I mean, doesn't have to be a big hog, but, but just a mature hog that's, that's done growing, I mean, they can cover so many miles in a matter of minutes. And, I mean, it, it really just kind of wears on a dog that's going to chase hogs all through the country. And I've seen dogs. I, I've, I've got a lot of praise for cur dogs, you know, from certain lines that, that have great noses and can find hogs. But I, I would get so irritated when I'd see a dog that was, you know, 70, 75 pounds, and they find a 35, 40 pound hog and they let that hog take them on a race for miles, you know, and, and you burn up so much time and country, you know, you're usually pretty limited on how far you can, you can go in a direction once you turn out somewhere. So to have a dog that, that's going to chase a hog or allow a hog to, to move on him, even though he's, he's physically capable of, of having the size to dominate that hog. I mean, to me, that's just frustrating. So this is kind of what we went for. And, uh, it's, it's really, in the last couple of years is, is proven itself to us. I tell people all the time that this is not for everybody. It, it, it takes a certain kind of patience for sure to hunt the way we hunt. Like I said, it's a, it's a lot of walking. It's, you know, a few dry runs. You're not going to find hogs every time you go. But the thing that has kind of kept our faith and, and the reason why I think we'll be sticking with this for the long run is I've hunted with so many different people in so many different programs. And the amount of times I've seen a hog get started and that race not finished with a hog on the other end of it, uh, I, I just think that our percentage of doing it the way we do is so much higher. And, and I, I, I appreciate that so much more than having to chase one hog throughout the night and end up going home empty-handed. Can you talk about the differences between living with a dogo and, say, a, you know, a, a more traditional Texas hog dog? I think that in some aspects, I mean, in, a, in a lot of aspects, there's, there's, there's a lot of positives on, on the traditional Texas, kind of South Texas working dog style. But there's also some big aspects in an all-dogo yard. Um, I've seen some dogs, and, and for the most part, if, 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 no matter what the breed or genetic makeup of a dog, if you're working him and you're keeping them tired, your yard's going to be quiet, you're not going to have to worry about some of the nonsense that goes on if you're putting the right amount of fatigue on your dogs, if, if you're giving them the exercise they need. But I've seen a lot of cases where, I mean, there are some cur dogs that the, the amount of bottom and energy that they have 
I mean, it's it's hard not to have a noisy yard or have a yard where these dogs are, are constantly restless. Um, I think, too, you know, even if somebody had a, a South Texas line of dogs that was very unique and everybody on the same page, I mean, you could have a, a, a good vibe for the most part from dog to dog on your yard. But typically that's not the case. Typically they'll have one or two dogs of one style, one or two dogs of another style. And uh, because of that, there's, there's kind of a little bit of a difference in, in personas and you get a little bit of uh, kind of clashes and style and then just kind of noise and, and just a, a little bit of the nonsense that you get with a mixed yard. Another thing, too, is a lot of these people that hunt that way, you know, it, it takes a good bit of dogs to, to be able to stop a good a good size hog. A lot of times they're hunting with more dogs than we are. I mean, where we can take two or three dogs and have a successful hunt, most of the people around us are hunting with, you know, five to up to eight or nine or ten. And that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that style. And there's a lot of hunters that are very successful in that way. But, I mean, only having to worry about four or five dogs on your yard and as far as the noise and, and, and the time it takes to really give them the care they need and, and to get them out and exercise them rather than having, you know, up to a dozen different dogs on your yard and, and different personalities and breeds and kind of having to try to keep the peace between that. It's much nicer to have everybody kind of on the same wavelength, uh, in, in my opinion. I think it was kind of in the early 1940s, the, the, right before the middle of the 1900s, uh, in, in Argentina, there was a, a doctor, and uh, he was kind of well-known throughout the country. He was uh, also very, very intelligent as far as working dogs and dogs in general. He was a big lover of dogs, and um, there was a dog in the area that was known as the fighting dog of Cordoba. People people talk a lot about how the Dogo Argentino is made up of all these different breeds, and they are, and, and there's things like the Pointer and the Foxer and the Great Dane and, mm-hmm. and several others in there. And there's different interpretations as far as to the what those dogs really were. But the one thing that is pretty much universally agreed on is that the, uh, the staple of the Dogo was the fighting dog of Cordoba, which I guess the kind of picture that it, they say it's, in a lot of different literature that it was basically like a Spanish Mastiff, which could be, you know, any kind of Mastiff that from that part of the world, and they would crossbreed that to bull terriers and, and other kinds of fighting dogs that they had on, on that part of Argentina. And this was back, of course, when, when dog fighting was, was more popular down there, more common. And then that's how they kind of created this fighting dog of Cordoba. And what these guys did was they, they this, this doctor, he got several of the females of these fighting dogs of Cordova and was crossbreeding them to things like the Pointer and the, the Bulldog and, you know, Spanish Mastiff and things like that. And then they crossbreed those offspring kind of back to other F1s of that program. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was really kind of, when, when you read about it, it when, when you read that there's 10 different breeds, it's kind of hard to, to take serious, you know, the genetic makeup. But when you go through and read what he actually wrote and read some of the articles that explain what they did, there was really a lot of thought put into this. And the dogs that were chosen were chosen for very specific reasons. And, and not just the breed, but the, the specimens of the breed themselves that they used were very specifically chosen for certain aspects and certain qualities. And a lot of them were very proven dogs. Um, so then you kind of started to see a certain type. Um, they, they, they started getting the, the unique look that they wanted to. Uh, a big thing as far as the breed that even from the very early beginning that they focused on was the head. You know, of course, the Dogo is all white. That, that's something that they wanted for, uh, you know, and, and a lot of people, a lot of hunters 
kind of have issue with the white coat and, and even owners that just have the dog as, as, a, as a regular non-working dog kind of take issue with the coat because it is white and it makes it more susceptible to skin issues. But I mean, by doing that, they kind of set uh, a type of standard to where, you, you know, you, you know, it's a dog. Not all white dogs are dogos, but all dogos are white, you know, and it makes it to where you're never going to see a red or a black or a brindle. It's like, it has to be white if it's a dogo. Now they do allow, um, you know, kind of pirates or black patches on the dog. That's still within the breed standard. But, uh, you know, it's, it's very much frowned upon, you know, an all-white dogo will, will win a class against the dogo that has a patch on them if everything else is tied. But um, anyway, they focused on the coat color, which, again, I think kind of makes it a little bit more easier to keep with that genetic material. And then I think, too, a, a big focus was on the head. There was so much written about the head. I mean, one of the original standards, the amount that they write specifically about the skull and the length of the skull and how it should be shaped when compared to everything else they write about the standard. I mean, it's, it, it's almost like 25% of what that dog standard is based upon is their skull. So, and the, I mean, there's way too many people in Argentina that have done so much with the breed that, the, that I can list and, and they, they really kind of created it and, and shaped it into what it is. And I guess as far as on the hunting side of it, so like I said, I got into hunting right around the early 2000s. And there was very few people in South Texas that were kind of using them for, uh, for, for hunting, for, for catch dogs on, on wild hogs. Because as I said, this is kind of right when hog hunting with dogs was really starting to take off as a popular deal down here. And there was also other pockets of dogo owners that I'd kind of heard of. Um, I knew in Florida there, was, there were some people that were breeding dogo Argentinos. And I'm sure there were others throughout the country. But, but at that time, really kind of South Texas, Florida, and then a breeder kind of up in the New York area were, were kind of the main ones that were known for where you could get dogos. And um, they, were, they were a little bit, it seems like, bigger than, than what the average is now, or at least the dogs I saw then. I mean, I remember going hunting with these big 120-pound males with big cinder block heads. I mean, just, just kind of more of the Mastiff-style dogo. And then... Um, you know, in, in the mid-2000s, people started importing straight from Argentina themselves. Other people started buying from breeders in Europe, which Europe at that time was starting to have more breeders that, that were raising dogos. So the breed in general was becoming more popular. And um, now, I mean, it seems like there's a lot more representation as far as the different types of bloodlines out there and, and all the different types of dogos you can find. I mean, it, was, it wasn't near as diverse uh, 20 years ago, but now it seems like... Uh, there's, there's, there's kind of a big representation, both in the hunting world and just in dog ownership period of what the Dogo Argentino, you know, is out there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Have you guys uh, run into any health issues with the uh, Dogos? When we first got into Dogos, you know, we of course we knew about the deafness through, through them being all white, and that was kind of something that you'd read a lot from what, at the same time, if there was something that we thought these dogs were lacking in their diet, we would definitely be making changes. But, uh, you know, I think pe- people have seen our dogs. People have uh, asked Ashley many times on Instagram, you know, what we feed, thinking that it's going to be something crazy. But, uh, you know, right now we're feeding Diamond High Energy, and they're doing great on it. They really are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're, they're a dog, and they, they need to be treated like a dog. Like I said, their they're veterinarian care and, and making sure that they, they have all their needs met is super important. But at the end of the day, they're still a working dog, and that's how we keep our yard. I mean, at the same time, it, it's it's – we don't ever want to ask too much of them to where it, it, it it's just a, a negative experience. Right. We want to keep them as healthy as possible, and, and we yeah. I think we do that. I don't 
if, if we see signs that there's there's a, a dog having an issue with something, whether it be skin or you know anything like that, we're we're quick to kind of take care of it. But yeah, otherwise we we really do try to keep this as, as, and preserve these working dogos. That's that's a big thing for us. Is it's it's not that we're people sometimes kind of accuse us of trying to make the dogo something that it's not or asking too much of our dogos because that's what they're not designed to do. But really, it's these dogs do have a lot of working dog background into them. Some of those breeds that I mentioned. I mean, those were at one time working breeds, and the dogs that were used from those breeds were some of the most, you know, hardworking dogs in that breed. So, you know, it's it's in these dogos to do the job we ask them. We're just preserving it. We're not mm-hmm. trying to, like, make them do something extra. It's, mm-hmm. it's just keeping what's already there and utilizing it as, as best we can. Mm-hmm. Now, you talk about, <clears throat> talk about the skin. How how does their skin do in the in the hot and humid weather? You know, it seems like all of our young dogs go through a stage. I I guess most young dogs do, and because their skins aren't aren't so white, or their coats aren't white and so short-haired, you may not notice it. But, I mean, they do kind of go through a puberty stage where you'll have, you know, maybe a few hot spots, especially in the summertime. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, once they get out of that, I mean, our grown dogs, the amount of hot spots we see on them or the issues that we have with them, I would say it's it's no more. If anything, it's less than you would see on on any other kind of working dog. Like I've had some catahoulas that had horrible skin issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not even related, just just different ones within the breed that just had bad skin issues. I've had mutts that have had real bad hot spots and things like that. Mange was an issue. And with these dogos, I mean, if you're feeding them right and you're giving them a, a, a good clean place, then then you really don't have the hot spots or skin issues that you would see in in other breeds. Right. I'm not saying they're, they're maybe better for it than, than other dogs, but we sure don't see the amount of issues. Again, though, a big part of that is shade. Shade's very important down here. Having an, an open aired area where they have plenty of shade and, uh, you know, good access to clean water. It, it seems like their coats do really well. Mm-hmm. So Ashley, can you talk about your experiences with the Malinois and, and how is that compared to, to the dogo or is there any similarities or is this completely different um i think there are similarities i do believe that the drive is different um malinois have that you know ball drive uh drive for reward you know through a toy things like that um they definitely um do not have much of an off switch so that's also one thing that we do adore about the dogo you know with that intelligence i think and you know if they have an outlet that they enjoy their rest Mm -hmm. they enjoy family time malinois are go 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 all the time um have this energy very very high energy not much of an off switch which i can appreciate that um and i love working with the malinois but to kind of get my own working dog pack going and Andrew having his background in the hog hunting, uh, we just really went towards the dogo. Mm-hmm. Well, dogos are, uh, were created to protect, you know, the family and the property and they enjoy being a part of the family. But something that I would suggest, you know, if, if someone getting a dogo pup is just to socialize at a young age because they do, you know, create bonds with their family that are super strong and are wary of strangers. Mm -hmm. So they see a big difference between strangers and someone that's a part of the family. But if, if you socialize your dogo, train your dogo at an early age, um, you know, they can tell the difference between if someone is welcome or not, but yeah, they uh, definitely are territorial. 
of their home place. So when we take our dogs hunting, you know, they need to be able to have a landowner drive up on them, things like that. So, so they need to have a stable temperament to, to humans, but they are much more uh, territorial of their home place. They're, you know, if a stranger comes onto your home place, they're going to protect you. And you don't really have to train that much to bring that out of a dogo. Mm-hmm. You really want to socialize them, and that will come with maturity and age. Right. Um, conditioning is a huge thing for us because we are running an all-dogo pack on the ground where they're going to be doing all the work themselves. They have no you know, other dog to rely on to put in all the legwork to find these hogs. So conditioning is pretty big for us. So summertime's coming up. It's going to get hot. So we like to take them on little day trips, you know, to get that heart pumping and work them and run them. Um, but you also, with conditioning and, and running these dogs, you got to give them rest. So, you know, we'll go hunting a couple times a week, but you also want to give them time to where they're just lounging around, resting, recovery. And that's how you get an athlete, you know. A dog that's going to run and have the stamina. You have to build that up. Yeah, absolutely. What are some dogs that you guys like that you've never been around or had the first-hand experiences but are, are intrigued by? I mean, we've always kind of joked that if this dogo thing wasn't going to work out, that we'd kind of get into the world of big game hounds. Like, like you know, Northwest American high-caliber big game hounds, which, I mean, are kind of not compared to anything else in the world as far as the the, the hunting and then the ability to go miles but of course down here that's kind of impractical that's that's not something we'd probably be able to do with with the size of the places but it's something that we can certainly appreciate and then you know kind of yesterday just uh checking checking things out we listened to the your episode 26 about the bully arab and uh kind of saw the pictures which i mean we'd known about bully arab before but uh, just kind of seeing them and, and hearing that interview, I mean, that was that was just really cool and seeing the pictures of them and seeing the videos of them working. I mean, Bully Arab is that's kind of that's kind of like a, a goal of ours is to have a dogo that can kind of compare a little bit to that. Yeah. So of, of course, the tracking's a little bit different there. I think from from what from what uh, Shane said and from what some of the other things we've read about them is, you know, they're a little bit more longer range, a little bit colder nose than than a typical dogo. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, yeah, that's, that's kind of something that we strive to, to be like, I guess. That's, that's a very cool breed that we can respect. But as far as that, I mean, if we were really going to do this, and, and there's a reason why they're tried and true, but, but the kind of South Texas cur dog mix, you know, that's, that's kind of what people use around here and have a lot of success with. So I guess if we were going to keep hunting hogs, that would be something that we'd maybe look into getting back into. Cur dogs are interesting because, you know, like, I'm, I'm – a city-fied city boy, you know, I, I grew up in a medium-sized city and, and I didn't grow up hunting or anything like that. We were, I was playing ball and getting into trouble, so uh, the the outdoor life wasn't necessarily uh, in my purview, but the, the older I've gotten, the more I've become um, interested in that lifestyle. I actually lived in uh, central Texas for a while. Um, my mom spent her last 20 years of her life down there, so um, that's kind of where I started looking at it more of a, of a working dog because I was in a town of 900 people in the middle of nowhere, and so I got to see a lot of different dogs and different purposes, and so it's it's that's what kind of spurred my interest to, to start this podcast was more of a, a of a learning experience for myself 
and to share that learning experience. So with the cur dogs, what uh, what are some good crosses that you've seen with the cur dogs that would have an off switch? Well, I mean, there's there's so many, and and I mean, just every kind of combination and percentage of those that you could think of. I mean, I, I've seen so many different breeds and, and crosses of those types of dogs be used on hogs. But uh, like I said, for for the the formula that I've seen work multiple times and and just kind of hold true has just been, you know, we'd say maybe like half that genetic makeup comes from like a, a, a cur type or a stock type, ranch type dog, you know, something something short-haired, usually yellow or, you know, some type of yellow, tan, somewhere in there. And you take that and you cross that, you know, you have a, maybe a quarter or so to three-eighths of what would be considered a, a running walker or a July hound or, you know, some kind of fast type hound, you know, not, not so much a coon hound like a like a trend walker or a black and tan, but, but something that, that's a little bit more designed for fast game like coyote. Mm-hmm. Um, run and walker and July hound are probably the most common that's used. Um, there are some people that cross plot and have success with that. Uh, I mean, I've seen it go both ways. Uh, if the plot comes, it seems like the grittier that line of plot is, the better it crossbreeds. It seems the looser bang that type of plot is, the more chance that you're going to get an open mouth dog. That's not gonna. That's, that's gonna bark on track a little bit more, and not put teeth into a hog to, to stop it. And um, you know, again, just just a little bit of bulldog. You don't want a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But I found that you know people that kind of hunt a straight cur or her, a cur hound cross, and it doesn't have a little bit of bulldog on it. You know, you're usually relying on a catch type dog then that you're gonna have to lead in. And and like I said, you know that may work in some spots of Texas, but down here i mean these hogs they're they're just going to run on you so you got to have something that's, that's willing to put teeth into a hog and i mean if, if if you're exercising them and you're hunting them enough i mean you can you can certainly uh you can certainly tire them out and have a quiet yard and, and have a little bit of an off switch and a lot of them their temperaments were great dogs you know mm-hmm. you could you could you know have them ride around in the truck with you they could be around your family your kids and they're never going to show any sign of aggression or dog aggression i've seen as many of them as 12 you know on the ground hunting together you kill a hog and, and there's still 12 dogs right there and nobody's got an issue with each other you know it's, it's it's not uncommon i think a lot of that too goes back to that stock dog but also that that running walker or that that running type hound you put in there because that's how coyotes are run or in big packs of dogs so i think you kind of breed a little bit of a social skill into your dogs when you, when you cross into that but like i say too with that same deal the the programs that i've hunted with and and, and the people that that i've seen you know, who were able to improve their yard and, and make the dogs better than what they started out with were ones that did so using a purebred dog, whether it be a plot hound or, you know, mountain cur or kimmer cur or black mouth catahoula, whatever. And it doesn't have to be registered, but if they stuck with one breed and they tried to better what they had within the, the guidelines of that breed, and that's what they limited to breeding to, it, it seemed like they were able to kind of stay to where they could improve what they had, whereas those that were crossbreeding usually end up breeding into a corner because you can't ever really find true north again. And and that's why I kind of always wanted to go that direction eventually to where we ended up with a pure breed of dog. I, I really do appreciate what this, and we can just keep calling it that, that South Texas type cur dog. I really appreciate what they have to offer and what kind of dog they are. The reason that I wanted to get out of that was because I knew that eventually what you end up with is not what you started out with or where you wanted to go. Eventually, you have to take another direction. Whereas if you stay with, with one pure breed of dog, you have so many you know guidelines that keep you, keep you right and kind of keep your compass pointing true north. 
I mean, you can you can get there a lot faster crossbreeding. A- absolutely. Yeah. yeah a- absolutely. Um, first, first off, I do want to say that I I don't I don't condone crossbreeding dogos, but I'm not a fan of it, and it's not something that Ashley and I think that we'll ever do anytime soon. And I think the reason for that is it's a, it's such a new breed that has such a genetic, you know, like I said, there's ten breeds supposedly that were used to make it. So there's 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 a really good chance that you're not going to get the kind of consistency you'll see in a litter. I've seen dogos cross with dogs, and you have pups that are, you know, 30 or 40 pounds when they're full grown. And it's like, how, how can that be a representation of what a half dogo is supposed to be? Now, with that being said, there's there's great examples of cross dogos out there, and there's a lot of people. What Douglas Mason in uh, Columbus, Texas did with uh, crossing catahoulas to dogos, and he, he kind of made his own type of working dog, called them cat does, and, you know, he would run one or two of them on the ground with a purebred catahoula, and he, he said, you know, several times that that's what he thinks is the most ideal hunting pack, you know, for, for several reasons. I, I've seen a, a, a gentleman, one of the first guys that, that I kind of started hunting into with was uh, Drew Hurley had a half Catahoula, half Dogo that was one of the best all-around hog dogs I've ever seen. But uh, at, at the same time, I, I think that the Dogo doesn't cross well as far as, you know, when you breed, I, I don't breed to get one or two good dogs and then a bunch of junk. We want to... A, a uniform, consistent litter that's capable, that has a, a, a good range of pups that are going to make it, mm-hmm. a high percentage of dogs that are going to turn into hunting dogs. But, um, yeah, you can you can definitely crossbreed dogs and get there a lot faster than, than hunting a purebred pack. What I've seen down here, because there are so many working-type dogs available, and it's kind of similar. If you look at the classified ads on some of these Australian hunting sites, it's very similar, mm-hmm. where you can kind of spend just as much money just as fast Buying these different crossbreed dogs, trying to put together a puzzle piece for a pack, you know. If, if you can find you one good crossbred dog that can do it all, that's that's great. But a lot of guys end up running, you know, six or seven different dogs of all these different types of breedings because they can't get them to do to where there's a uniform set that can do all the work by themselves. They're having to rely on each other. So when they lose a dog or if a dog gets hurt for a while, they're having to go out and buy another dog anyway. Now, I do think that the, the, the Dogo Argentino, the, the price tag that people put on them, it, it really does turn away a lot of possible working homes because people don't want to spend that kind of money on a purebred Dogo Argentino that they see as overvalued and, and risk getting them lost or hurt or the dog not making it, not being a good hunting dog at all, being a, being a coal, and then having sunk all this money into it when they can try a crossbred pup that's you know maybe five times cheaper and has a better chance of turning out. Well, I think there's a lot of, uh, especially kind of the, the people that got into the breed earlier on and, and had dogos kind of about the time when I was starting into hunting, you know, just, just regular hog hunting. Back in the early 2000s, there were people that were already breeding dogos around here and hunting dogos around here. And you talk to those people nowadays, and they kind of preach that same doom and gloom that, you know, the working dogo is dead and, and you know, the price tag of the dogo has made it to where, you know, nobody wants to buy it and work it. And, and that's, that can certainly be the case. But... I think, too, though, even though with the price of the dogo being what it is, there are way more people working their dogos now. There's way more working dogos out there now just because it's become more popular of a breed. Mm-hmm. But I think their temperament and their athleticism, there's a lot more people out there hunting dogos now than there were when I first got into it. I, I feel much better about being able to go out. We have no plans to go out and get a pup off of our yard anytime soon. Um, we're, we're, we're very lucky to have kind of gotten into the situation that we're in. Um, we're able to kind of maintain and, and keep making the dogs that we need for our own personal use. We really don't sell a lot of dogs. But uh, if we had to, if, if something happened, 
I feel really good about my chances about going off my yard and being able to find a working dogo now mm-hmm. than I did even five years ago when right. we first got into dogos. In the last five years, it seems like there's been more of a, a push for like preserving the working dogo. Now, with that being said, I, I, I do, you know, I've just pointed out that there's nobody really out there, at least in North America, that's kind of doing what we're doing with these dogs, and that's kind of what we hang our hat on. Um, that's that's kind of where we're trying to separate our dogs from others just to kind of show ourselves that they can do it. But there's a lot of people out there that are taking their dogs to the woods, they're following them up behind high-caliber cur dogs, and they're, they're putting them on multiple hogs, and, and they're hunting them hard. And there's some people that are doing it similar to us where they are running dogos on the ground and their dogos are finding and catching their own hogs and, and you know, they're asking quite a bit of them. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's a lot easier now to get a working dogo, I think, now than it is five years ago, like I said. Mm-hmm. I can't say the same thing for the American Bulldog. I do believe that there, it's a similar situation, though, as you said, though, where the price tag probably does deter that. But uh, there's there's I, I feel more positive now about working dogos than I did five years ago. That makes sense. Um, and I think, too, you know, it should be noted, there, there are people down here that hunt in a way that Ashley and I just, just we don't have the time to be able to hunt like that. Mm-hmm. There's people that kill over 200 hogs a year behind a pack of dogs. Right. And uh, what they need and, and when they see, you know, weaknesses or holes in their program and they crossbreed or they try to create some kind of F1 project to get something where the, they're right where they need to be right away and they're not really looking at the, the, the long game, and I totally understand that, and I appreciate that. And, and I love to see a good hybrid dog that, that's got the heterosis, you know, do something crazy. And, and that's, that's you know, any kind of fan of working dog would love to see that. Yeah. I just, again, like like I said, I just, I'm not a huge fan of crossing dogos. And mm-hmm. I kind of, we kind of got into this for like a something that we could have a long-term program yep. based around. Yep. And I figured that the dogo was, was a good uh, and two, uh, another thing about the dogo, which goes back to it having so many different breeds mixed into it. And then some of these dogs are intelligent, and then, you know, that affection and then that sociable aspect of them. You really, truly, you build a bond with every working dog, but it just seems like, you know, these dogos, you know, it's, you just build this really, really tight bond working with these dogs that have that intelligence. They understand what happened you know, they learn every time you kill a hog together. They know that, you know, I'm going to get there as soon as I can, so they put it all in. You know, it's, it's just a, a really deep bond that you build with these dogs. It's like it a family it, outing. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Enjoy it. So, again, here's another goofy question that I like to, to ask because I, it interests me. I don't care how goofy it sounds, but, I, you know, like, uh, um, I'm a – Bulldog guy, I grew up with bulldog, English bulldogs and pit bulls, and then uh, I also grew up with around pugs, and now I have a Shih Tzu, which I bought for my wife. But that dog is just as much mine as my my wife. So I like little dogs too. I don't discriminate. So if you were to have a little dog, what little dog would each of you guys have? I mean, I've always kind of liked the the small terrier type dogs, mm-hmm. like the Jag Terriers and stuff, and I can appreciate that for what it is. I think that uh, if that wasn't something that I was able to focus on all day long, which I probably wouldn't, it'd probably just be like a like a yard dog or a truck dog or mm-hmm. something, you know. I don't know how that would work out, so I think maybe something a little bit more kind of kind of toned down, like maybe a Jack Russell or you know maybe something a mini like that. Schnauzer. Yeah, a mini Schnauzer, yeah. you know, that'd be cool. But those are kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, really, if, if, I mean, if you're putting like a size specification on it, I guess we would like probably find the smallest real old you know american pit bull terrier that we could and try to pass that off as our lap dog you know which uh, i mean i've seen some 30 pound pit bull terriers that, that have just been tenacious um we had a a good friend of mine when we were starting out he found some i mean they looked they looked like jack russell terriers crossed with beagles or something i mean they they never got more than 20 pounds but I mean, they were just the gamiest little things, and you you would go and see a big hog, and that hog would be standing or it'd be swimming in a tank, and both those dogs would be one on each ear, you know, just hanging on. But I mean, we can appreciate those small dogs for what they are, and how there's some great working dogs out there that are, you know, from the smaller breed. There's a, it seems like the the ratting community in the last five years has really kind of picked up, and that's that's just a really cool thing to see and, and appreciate those dogs for, you know, that kind of drive. I mean, that that's impressive. I think we appreciate I think we appreciate all types of working dogs and all ways that people use them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you and it's possible to own a dogo when you don't haul cunt, you know, you can give that dog an outlet. Um, I, I, I think we see all different kinds of styles that we can appreciate. There's there's a lot of breeders out there that get on their pulpits and, and preach about how like a dogo needs to be a working dogo. It needs to be a hunting dogo or, you know, what's the point of having a dogo? I mean, not all Labradors are retrieving ducks in, in you know, 20 degree rivers. You can own a dogo and respect the dogo for what it is. You know, maybe right. you shouldn't be having a yard full of dogos and breeding dogos and sending dogos out, but if you if you own a dogo and give that dogo structure and are the you know and and, and the leader for that dogo and give them an outlet they're going to live a happy life and, and we understand yeah and we can understand that not everybody's going to use or agree with the way that we're using the dogo but it really shows us what we have what we're breeding um they cannot rely on anybody else and it's just it's really fun it keeps us outside it's a very like andrew said it's a very family pack oriented day in day out we're out there on the yard messing with them i mean it's just a really fun thing for us to have and to work on it's Mm -hmm. it's a it's a love it's a passion you know san antonio is kind of growing out this way and 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 so are some of the other kind of new Braunfels and austin area and because of that a lot of land's getting developed which is pushing hogs more into our area Mm -hmm. um at the same time a lot of the big kind of farms and ranches around here are kind of getting more split up and um that because of that, pastures are getting smaller, which, I mean, you know, like I said, this started out as something that we were going to kind of, like, try to prove to ourselves. But the longer we do this, the more kind of uh, it, it kind of makes sense and is becoming more of a um, useful thing to have these type of dogs because mm-hmm. places that are just simply too small for other styles of dogs to hunt, we can take dogos in there and hunt it, and, and they're effective. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can hunt these dogos on a big place and also on a small place, a lot of people have to, you know, they have to have a certain land requirement. To you can't hunt long range dogs on a small place, but you can hunt these type of dogs just about anywhere, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're they're quiet. We can be in and out, no problem. You know, we we can hunt some pretty small places. If there's a hog there, they're going to grab it, and we can get out of there pretty quick. The majority of the places that we hunt are probably within about ten miles of us. There's a lot of different creek bottoms. You know, nothing crazy. Uh, we do hunt a few river kind of type areas now and then, a little bit of cropland, but most of it's just really kind of grown up brushy areas and that that are grown up in cattle pastures. Um, some places as big as a couple thousand acres, and, and some as small as less than a hundred. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, 
different type of terrain in this area, kind of mixed up. This is this is kind of where that that South Texas brushland kind of starts to roll into the hill country a little bit, and then at the same time, you know, there's a little bit of that kind of Gulf Coastal Plain, you know, in some spots. Mm-hmm. A lot of hay farmers in this area, so you, you get a pretty good different type of terrain in just a small area. And these dogs have kind of shown useful in in, in a lot of different different areas. You know, they've I, I feel good about hunting them, you know, in different spots and not have to worry about how they're going to do. Right. Yeah, and, and having so many places that we hunt be so close to us, and you know the the, the landowners that that you're hunting because you're hunting so close, they all kind of tend to know each other and yeah. talk and. We've, you know, we've gotten places by word of mouth, you know, one farmer talking to another farmer that hogs are giving them a hard time. And, and they, you know, well, I know somebody that's kind of helping us out. And I mean, it's, 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 I would never say that, you know, we're, we're helping out definitely as far as keeping hogs down. There's, there's just so many of them. It's, it's unreal. I mean, the hogs, the hog population here now, even with so many people hunting and trapping and, you know, now kind of night vision and thermal rifles have kind of gotten to be a big deal around here. But even with all that, there's still more hogs around here now than there were, you know, 20 years ago when I started out. Right. right. Well, I really appreciate your guys' time. It was it was fun to hear, and I've been trying to get um, somebody with similar experiences that you guys are doing with the Dogos um, uh, to, to, to talk to me, but people were kind of a uh, tight lip for whatever reason. So, oh yeah. I mean, we, 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 we try to be very transparent with yeah. what we're doing. I mean, we're not trying to do anything. There's no smoke and mirrors yeah. here. We kind of lay it out as, as truthfully as we can, as far as what we show people. And Ashley's done an amazing job through social media with their Instagram kind of really, it, it's more of like a journal for us than anything. It's just, us really, kind of, we just really, love the dogo we want to preserve and we also want to uh show what they're capable of that they're able to be a hunting dog um and it's just really fun for us it's just really fun we like andrew said i just i just love spending time with them and just sharing that yeah. you know what what the dogo is what they are capable of yeah. you know how powerful and and how much fun they are they're good dogs they're good yeah. all-around dogs and we're not trying to be um, number one breeder or right, anything like that. Right. We're just trying to preserve what the dogo is and 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 show and and make them good dogs, good all around working, healthy dogs. We're, we're interested. Yeah, with with seeing what we've seen, you know, especially from our first litter with Buzzsaw, and then just kind of building upon that. We're very kind of the longer we do this, the more interested we are into seeing where we can peek out with these dogs. Because mm-hmm. I mean, they really have been improving, and and we just feel that we can get to a point where. I mean, these might be some, some kind of really handy working type dogs that can really kind of, you know, uni- a universal soldier type feel. So. And it just goes back to practical. Places are getting smaller. You know, mm-hmm. you, if you need a dog that can find and catch a hog on its own, and then you can come to our yard. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. It's, right. not, it's not for everybody, but at the same time, we don't consider it a niche. I mean, what we're doing serves a purpose, and yeah. it, it's definitely a style that's been working for us. Yeah, she's never been to Texas, so I'm trying to... I wanted to show her where my mom lived and where I lived for a while, and so yeah. If, if yeah, well, if you're ever down here, we'd love to meet up with you. That yeah, would be, oh yeah, that'd be we, great. yeah, I'd love to see see your dogs and hang out and see what you South Texas boys and gals do. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it was great talking to you. Yeah. We hope you have a good week and All that'd right. be great. Thank you guys. Well, we appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Thank you very much. Bye.